Hey Rebels, my name is Matthew Barton and I'm the host of the Rebellion Brewing Podcast. Rebellion has seen so many changes in the last six months that I think it's important to sit back for a moment and talk about it. Never mind everything that's been happening with COVID-19. We were planning our 2020 beer lineup more than a year ago and we're still charging ahead with it, virus be damned. But this also represents a huge change in styles for us. Beer styles, artwork, a lot of our seasonal artwork this year is riffing on a retro 70s vibe. I think it's safe to assume if you're listening to the podcast, you're already in. You don't care what the beers might be. You don't care what the artwork might look like. You're in. You get it. But today, Mark and I are pulling back the curtain and leaving no stone unturned. We're going to take a look at why we're choosing to do what we do and the way we do it. So let's get into it. Mark, welcome to the show. Happy to be here as always. I think I'm the probably the most uh, frequent guest on the show so far. Uh, y- today you will be. <laughs> yeah, I guess that makes. I guess I'm a guest on the show. Yeah. <laughs> so let's start with today's feature beer, Golden Crush. Yeah. What's new with Golden Crush this year? Uh, well, yeah, so Golden Crush is not a new beer. I've been really stoked about this beer for a long time, but it, it's definitely evolved over the years, just even from the initial artwork to uh, to kind of cleaning all that up. And um, yeah, so we've we basically turned it into a uh, hazy session IPA, which is pretty cool stuff. Uh, everyone's going the haze craze right now. Um, honestly, I wasn't didn't jump on that bandwagon right out the start, and um it sounds egotistical, but uh, frankly, it's because a lot of the beers I tasted that were these hazy IPAs were not very good. And so, uh, yeah, I was uh, the jury was out as far as I was concerned. I didn't really feel the need to make a bunch of beers that didn't taste very good. But uh, anyways, we've kind of we've, uh, you know, in our own rebellion way, we're pretty uh, committed to quality and consistency and, and trying just about anything and figuring it out. And, you know, if we want to snub our nose, turn up our noses and say, well, these guys don't know how to make good beer. Well, then we better show them how it's done is kind of how we view it. And so I really don't view that as egotistical. I just I think it's I think we're capable of making really great beer and, uh, you know, put your money where your mouth is. And so. Anyways, every year we've done Golden Crush, the recipe changes. Yep. I know that it it tweaks. Yep. Why are we doing that? Uh, so to give you some all some real behind the scenes stuff would be on finances and the cost of making some of these beers. So um, I was I initially wanted to keep this beer at the same price point as our regular base beer lineup, if that makes sense, uh, because I wanted it to be a core summer beer. I think it's got really wide mass appeal, and I was concerned about price sensitivity that might scare some people off. But, you know, the market's really been changing and evolving in Saskatchewan, and there does seem to be an appetite to spend a little bit more money on a premium beer, even though it is only a 4.5% beer. And uh, so... I knew that I wanted the beer to taste a certain way, but that requires more hops to make it taste that way. And uh, unfortunately, that means it has to cost a little bit more to get it into the can for you guys. So anyways, uh, it seems like people are kind of over that. They've accepted that. They understand what that it's worth it, and people are digging it and loving it. So that's why we started uh, amping up the hops even in it last year, and then we've switched it over to using our, our house strain of hazy yeast as opposed to our uh, typical clean ale yeast. So. Before, what would you classify it as a, a non-hazy beer? 
Yeah, so it would just be a kind of a, what I would just call a session IPA. And, you know, I got really excited about making a beer this way. Uh, frankly, when we went to Australia and brewed lentil beer, that's three years ago now, I think. And uh, we went to a brewery called Pirate Life. They've since been bought out by, I think, AB InBev, which is kind of lame. But um, they were they had a 3.8% IPA that was as hoppy as can be. And it was just so good. And when we were there, the temperatures were like 42 to 45 degrees Celsius every day. And it was incredibly humid. And I just loved drinking that beer. And it was expensive. It was a super expensive beer. I think a six-pack was like something like well over $30 Canadian. Probably closer to 40 or 45 if I remember. But for six tall boys yeah i mean that was just the price of beer back uh, in australia but uh it was worth it I, I was more than happy to pay it it was that good and that refreshing that satisfying so um the other the other thing in terms of just evolution of beers uh again uh sometimes it's what we want sometimes it's what we can get is is about the hops and availability of hops we do contract our hops years in advance and so you make some guesses you make some bets take some chances and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't always work out and so um Anyways, this year we're uh, we're using all Citra hops in the dry hop, which I'm a big fan of Citra. Uh, a lot of fans are big fans of Citra, so um, seems like a match made in heaven. And yeah, it just turns out really, really nice. Let's crack it and get a taste and talk about it a bit. Sure. I know um, I've really appreciated this beer mm-hmm. in past years. I think the very first year I prized it as one of the top three beers I'd had from us this year. I feel it's evolved a lot. It's much more complex than it used to be. Yeah. So you get this really great interplay. And again, you know, it takes it, uh, you know, as great as our brewing team is, you have to keep brewing beers repeatedly. You have to keep tasting other beers, tasting your own beers to kind of get it to where you want it to be. What I think makes this so great now is the hazy yeast adds additional body because there's yeast in it. A lot of yeast suspended in the beer. Uh, the hazy yeast also contributes additional fruity flavors that just additionally rounds out uh, the other hot flavors, accents it, plays really nice. And um, we've also worked over the years, experimented with different other uh, ingredients, whether it's flaked barley or wheat or oats or whatnot. Because it's really hard with a lighter beer, you want you want to have that body in it. Otherwise, it tastes it's really watery and thin, and 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 that especially is a bad thing when you're adding lots of hops. The hops themselves, um, they kind of make that, kind of give it a dryness as well. And so you need something else just to kind of counterbalance that. Otherwise, it really stands out and it's just not very enjoyable. So just been constantly working on that, tweaking it. And yeah, I mean, we were, when we when we canned this, it came off the canning line. I was just really blown away. Um, we can our beers pretty quickly after we produce them. And so we always are pushing people to drink fresh, fresh beer. I'll be honest, when our some of our beers are canned that very first day or even for sometimes even up for the first week, it's almost too fresh. There's almost such a thing as too fresh of a beer. And it's because we add so much hops. Uh, and there's almost like a it's almost kind of that raw. There's It's almost got a rawness to it. And it's just not quite right in my mind. But uh, this one was already tasting fantastic. It was a little raw day one, but like within a couple of days, it was like, oh man, this is this is fantastic. And uh, I just knew it was good. And then again, you're always just crossing your fingers. You're like, man, I hope people care about this beer. I hope they actually go out of their way to buy it and enjoy it. And it just seemed like we hit a home run. Um, people lost their minds. We didn't really promote it online that it was available or out. Fans just started buying it and started raving about it and posting pictures and telling everyone, which is, you know, that's, 
uh, it's nice to win medals and be acknowledged or, you know, but, uh, when you're, when your loyal fan base is, is, uh, you know, raving and over the moon excited, um, I think we've done pretty good. I'll be honest. The very first time I cracked it, I poured it into a glass and I, I took my first sip and I was, I was missing a lot of that citrus character. I was missing a lot of that aroma. I was like, oh, did I, did I get a fucked up can or something? Cause you guys were talking it up so much and my expectations were so high. And then while I'm sitting there, I'm grilling the meat, I'm flipping it on my grill, and the, then the beer started to warm up a couple degrees. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, oh, this is what they're talking about. You needed that time and that temperature to really express the full character and nuance of this beer. Yeah, again, it's a light beer, but there's a lot of flavor going on. And any beer that has a ton, a ton of flavor um, typically responds better to just a slightly warmer temperature. It doesn't have to be, you know, you don't, I'm not asking you to drink room temperature beer. No, no, not room temperature. But just to take the edge off, you know, uh, yeah, it just allows it to open up and you just get all the, all the nice, well, it, it just becomes more well-rounded as opposed to kind of harsh or muted. The, uh, it's one of my favorite things, and you mentioned it before, was we hadn't even advertised it. We hadn't announced it. And we were selling out like people hadn't even got it yet. They're saying, Oh, I want to get some. And it had already been snapped up that first wave. And we're like, just, just give us a couple more days. The next batch of cans are coming. It'll be there. Yep. It's, it's kind of fun to see that happen. It is, you know, it's, um, we, 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 I, we make a fair bit of beer, you know, I still, don't, I still think we can make a lot more beer. Um, it's fine to say you sold out, you know, and you made 12 cans, but I mean, we make quite a bit of beer and so for it to sell out, I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome just on its own, just through word of mouth, you know, that's the most powerful advertising you can get. And, um, yeah, no, it makes, it makes everyone feel good. Um, we didn't have to put a gun to a dog's head and say, buy this beer or the dog gets it. It just yeah. kind of went. There's some, you know, and sometimes even, even great beers is, and it's not that the beer is bad, you know, just sometimes you have to lead folks along a little better or they don't have the, uh, the reference point of what we're trying to do. Sometimes it just doesn't have that. It just doesn't instantly grab people. Uh, and like I say, I mean, Golden Crush is about three or four years old. What I really think is cool. I will mention what I think is cool about Golden Crush. Uh, the one story I can tell you is I think the first year we launched it, it was draft only. And um, we actually sponsored a Coulter Wall show in Saskatoon in the middle of summer. Hey, darling, sleeping on the blacktop. Hey, darling, running through the trees, honey. Hey, darling, leaving for the next time. Lesson my set sketches up with me. And so I took this beer up there and we were giving out samples at the door. And so these are not beer geeks. These are people here to see a country guy play music in a club. And, but of course, most people will take a free sample of beer. And even to this day, a lot of people are turned off by the idea of an IPA. They think it's going to be harsh, it's going to be bitter. And so as an experiment, I didn't tell them it was an IPA. I said, do you want to try some Golden Crush? It's our new summer beer. And they tried it and they were like, it does taste like summer. Wow, this is great. And then they'd go up to the bar and order some. And so again, you know, I was just kind of, you know, smiling on smiling to myself the whole night that uh, I got all these folks that knew nothing about uh, if I told them it was an IPA they would have made a sour face and walked away from me so um, I was pretty proud of my marketing that day (laughs) that lesson you learned that day though we've kind of built that into our culture I've noticed that now because of you doing that our staff have been told and I myself have done this 
we hand a beer to someone and we just say, just drink it. Don't worry about what style it is. It just tastes good. Just drink it. Yeah, and that's, you know, I mean, obviously right now we can't do a whole lot of sampling per se, but that's the beauty of sampling and just just offering it up, right? There's no strings attached. You're not committing to a purchase. You're not committing to have to finish off a 20-ounce pint of something you absolutely hate. And, um, yeah, just no strings attached and no perceptions. If Again, I don't, you don't have to tell them it's an IPA. It's be like, it's a cool beer. It's called Golden Crush. And... And then you, you you have no preconceptions, and either you'll like it or you won't. Uh, and so that's 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 really something that's important to me. That's what I always try to stress and encourage on people. Um, I don't want to. I'll I'll pick on. I won't pick on them, but a really good example would be multinational chocolate cake that just came out, and a ton of people hadn't even tried, it and they're like, "It sounds delicious." Well, yeah, of course it sounds delicious, but what does it taste like, you know? And so, um, yeah, that, that's there's a whole psych, psychology around marketing and this and that. And, you know, I know there's other brewers that have called beers chocolate stout, and there isn't a drop of chocolate in it. Um, but, hey, it sounds good, sounds delicious. And, yeah, that's that's some of the – it's not trying to be deceitful or deceptive or anything, but, um, yeah, words are powerful. <laughs> I wrestle with that a lot when we're naming our beers, and I know – I don't have a hundred percent say I can't put my foot down, but it's something that I think about from the lay perspective, from the non beer geek perspective. What does it mean when we name this beer X, Y, Z, and then how are people going to respond? And it's kind of unfair. It's a psychological trick to tell them, well, this has whatever X ingredient, but it's just the perception of that ingredient. It doesn't necessarily have to exist. Yeah, again, it's a, there's a whole lot of work that goes into that. I obsess over it a lot. Um, we don't always get it right, but I think we, we, we're, we're, wrong, we're right more than we're wrong for the most part. And it, it's a fun process, but it can also be excruciatingly painful because you, uh, you can agonize over a certain name or you can find a perfect name to find that you know some other brewery is using it somewhere else. And then you're, uh, then you're stumped cause you, you know, that was, that was the name, you know? And so I've gone through that. I don't know how many times. So sometimes I really look forward to it. And sometimes I can't stand the thought of trying to name another beer, but, uh, yeah, no, it's really fun. And it's a fun in Saskatchewan where, um, you know, at least at this point, we're still trying to turn people onto new beers, new ideas. And, um, yeah, you can have a lot of fun with that. And it's really, it's just really cool to see that feedback good or bad it's it's uh i don't know i'm really dialed into that and it's not you know i was talking with another guy on a different podcast about um some breweries that have come and gone or still kind of sort of exist they came along before a lot of the current craft breweries but uh, on the prairies when breweries were opening up um say maybe 10 years ago or more they say well the the craft the, the beer drinker here you know they don't they can't handle too much flavor they can't do this so we're just going to give them something that they're used to and it was just such a lame attempt at trying to be a craft brewery. And they, they all failed miserably. And the beer sucked and nobody cared. Why would they want a lame imitation of a lame beer in the first place? So, um, yeah, we just kind of threw that out the window and said, no, we're going to just throw something really cool and wild in people's faces. But not, but also try to figure out, you know, how to what's the hook, right? To give them a chance to actually try it. And that works a heck of a, that works a lot better and it's been a lot more fun. One of the beers that we're launching in 2020 that I feel subverts a lot of expectations is our Outback Ale. And that's the one with uh, the hemp. I wouldn't call it an infusion, but hemp is part of the grain bill. 
Yeah, so uh, Saskatchewan's Outback uh, hemp beer. It's made with toasted hemp seeds from Carrot River, Saskatchewan. Carrot River, Saskatchewan's branded as Saskatchewan's Outback. It's probably way too, again, that's too long of a story. Um, but yeah, it's super cool beer. And, you know, I've been asked, uh, I don't know how many times to make a hemp beer. And I said, no, that's stupid. I don't want anything to do with it. And, um, yeah, we've been approached by, we've, we've, we've been approached by uh, cannabis companies, CBD companies. Oh, no, no. And, and, you know, they're, they're all interesting to a degree, but, uh, previously I was just like, no, I want nothing to do with it. All the hemp beers I've tried have been terrible. Um, which again, that's, that's what gets me excited. Cause I was like, well, if everyone has always made a terrible hemp beer, I bet you I can make a good one if I work hard enough at it. And when I say I, I mean, we, and I mean, our brewers, I haven't brewed beer in like five years. So, um, we got some sketchy emails from those cannabis companies. I, I was reading this. I'm like, I don't even know if I should waste your time sending this to you. This is so s- sad. Exactly. I talked with one folks. They approached me about making a hemp beer. And I said, it sounds like a gimmick. I said at the time I said, this just sounds kind of gimmicky. And they said, absolutely. It's entirely a gimmick. And I'm like, yeah, no thanks. But anyways, long story short, uh, we've met some great people at Carrot River, super awesome people. We went up there, Matt Matt and I went up there and we saw these huge fields of hemp and the hemp processing facility right in Carrot River. And Carrot River asked us about collaborating on a beer, Uh, which again, a further divergence, I'm typically against collaboration beers. People think of collaboration beers between breweries, which again, I just think is lame and boring and overdone. I'd rather just hang out and just drink beer with my beer, my brewery friends instead of collaborating. But I love collaborating with folks like Carrot River and uh, some of the other, you know, just weird, wacky, off the off the wall type of collaborations we've done. So, anyways, that's how the hemp beer thing came around. We uh, honestly, I didn't know how it was going to turn out, but you know, again, I had nothing but confidence in our brewing team, and we worked through the R and D on it, brewed a couple of different batches, and I just think it's a rad, rad beer. And, um, yeah, the, the toasted hemp seed just gives it that nice, nice little kind of nutty toasted finish. And, um, yeah, it's just a great, great beer and I'm excited about it. Uh, now that camping season's finally around the corner. It's been one of those sleeper hits for us, hasn't it? Like we haven't really done much advertising or talking about it, but it seems to be selling well. Yeah. I mean, there's a huge campaign that was planned around it. We all, uh, you know, we put a lot of time and effort into that. And of course that all got put on hold. Uh, but we are going to start, uh, circling back to some of that, you know, the can, the can itself says, you know, explore lakes, rivers, and forests. It's got uh, beautiful, uh, artwork on it with Aurora Borealis and all that sort of stuff. It's just beautiful, beautiful, uh, can very cool stuff. And so, yeah, it is the beer to take camping or, uh, if you're going up North, that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, we're going to have some fun with it this summer. When I tried it the first time to when I've tried it the final time with cans, we kind of pulled back on the toastiness. What was the cause of that? Um, so we were messing around with just how you actually add it, add the the hemp seed to the beer. Um, we initially were just adding whole hemp seed and, um, yeah, it would, it just added a different character, but not the character we really wanted. And so we actually have started milling that, which we had to actually get a separate mill because hemp seed is very oily and it, well, destroys the shit out of the mill. So we have we actually had to buy a separate custom mill just to run the hemp seed through it. And um, yeah, so it's all just in the way that you process things and how we add it. We've actually increased the amount of it. And um, yeah, I'm pretty happy with the way that it comes through. It is tough, you know, there's always batch to batch variancy. 
and even just from the, you know, you're using agricultural products. They're not all the same. So even, you know, a different bag of hemp seed can doesn't can taste different than the other ones. So yeah, some can be a little more nutty or toastier than the other ones, but yeah, just part of the, part of the, uh, journey. <laughs> it's not like a crazy out there, hoppy, insane beer. It's, I find it to be really accessible. I personally was a little surprised that it's kind of been a sleeper hit. Like it's, it's been a real nice surprise. Yeah. You know, again, I think like a lot of our beers, um, there's an audience for it. There's also an audience that maybe isn't for it. Um, one gentleman was in the tap room and, uh, one of our staff was trying to help him find a beer. And again, he said he wanted just something kind of easy drinking and he said, Oh, have you tried the hemp beer? And he's like, Oh, I don't like hemp. And I was thinking like, how much hemp have you drank in a beer in your lifetime but but it's fine again i wasn't looking down my nose at him but again it's just that he, it puts it in his head and he's you know he's probably thinking of you know some stinky weed or something that doesn't appeal to him or who knows right but uh no different than the lentils right lentil beer is our number one selling beer there's people you tell them we made a beer out of lentils i mean you see their face just like squish out they're like oh that sounds horrible um yeah well obviously a lot of people think it's not horrible so uh anyways that's just kind of that it's just kind of part of our mantra at rebellion you know there's a beer for everyone and i don't expect you to like every beer we make but yeah there's enough people out there that just the artwork is beautiful or they'll be like huh what does a beer with hemp taste like and uh yeah so it's... a beer with hemp done well exactly so we did do some r&d we brought back some hemp beers from some other breweries there was one in manitoba um wow that was just an awful awful beer uh, again, and that where that's where it goes back to, you know, if you had a, a certain beer from a certain brewery and you thought that was the worst one, the worst, let's say even a stout, it was the worst stout you ever had. That doesn't mean all stouts are terrible. It just means that brewery is terrible <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, that brewery is terrible. So that, that hemp beer was, uh, it was interesting that we tried it. Um, but we didn't put a whole lot of credence into, uh, the hemp itself in that beer. Well, let's talk about one that really splits the crowd, the Michelada. Yeah, that's probably the most uh, divergent one, Michelada. Michelada's crazy. Is uh, it technically a beer? Oh yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's brewed. It's there's nothing artificial about it. It's uh, uh, we actually add everything right during fermentation, which is pretty cool. Actually, well, during the during the brewing process on brew days, when we add the uh, the Viser mix that we get from Paperback Beverage Company. So Michelada, at the end of the day, ultimately is beer and clam for people to wrap their head around. Uh, very, very popular in, uh, in uh, Central America and in the Southern U.S., you know, in California and all that sort of stuff. Tons of people drink those beers. Very, very popular. Um, there's articles out there that will show you that other than uh, hard seltzer market, uh, Michelada is the second fastest growing market right now in uh, alcoholic beverages. Um, again, that's not necessarily why we did it, um, but we do try to stay on top of those trends and whatnot. But yeah, literally, uh, Judd from Paperback Beverage Company, we're sitting in our office right now recording the podcast. Judd literally just showed up out of the blue, stuck his head in the door and was like, hey, have you thought of making a Michelada and putting it in a can? And I was like, no, I haven't thought of that, but that's a really good idea. Uh, and yeah. And so, you know, like Matt was saying, kind of in the intro is we plan out our beer lineup like way, way, way in advance. And we had already planned out all of our beers for the summer. And he showed up, I don't know when it was, sometime in mid-March. We'd already planned everything. All everything was ordered. Uh, but I was like, you know what? We're, let's just do it. Let's just figure out how to do it. Um, because I, I do like beer and clam. I used to drink beer and clam when I was a kid. Well, maybe not. Yeah, I'd have some sips, let's say. 
Um, but yeah, it's a Saskatchewan thing. People love it, you know? And so I've never, ever uh, lost that enjoyment for that taste and that flavor. And when I first started telling people, people looked at me, they, they thought I was joking. They're like, well, Mark would never do that. Mark's too much of a purist or, you know, Mark's too hoity-toity or whatever. And I was like, no, we're going to do again. But again, it was like, we're going to do it. And we're going to do it really, really well. And that was probably one of the funnest R&D things that uh, we've done. Very, very difficult because the the, the other micheladas on the market are, um, you know, full of phony extracts and artificial flavorings and artificial coloring and artificial thickeners, all sorts of weird, nasty stuff. Um, we tasted a lot of them. Uh, terrible stuff from Bud Light, terrible stuff from Minhaus. I'll just, yeah, it, it's awful. Just nasty, nasty stuff. Um, there's a lot of sugar, right? A lot of high fructose corn syrup. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're just so sweet. They almost like they taste like they're, they have the same balance and profile of a soda pop, which is probably why it's so popular. Um, people are so, you know, accustomed to that, to that intense sugar and, uh, carbonation. And anyway, so we, we use that though to, to, just to help wrap our heads around, the, the balance of kind of what you're going for and like how spicy are they, how tomatoey are they, and how much beer flavor is really there. And so you kind of have to strip away all of the junk that they also add to it and try to get to what you're really going for. So we did a ton of that work. And, you know, we're still we're still kind of uh, continuing to tweak and evolve that beer just to get uh, the first few batches. Uh, the color was is not very appealing. I'll admit that flavor taste uh, flavor wise is pretty darn good. Um, but so we've have been trying to adjust that just through uh, different uh, barley malt that we've been adding. And it's been really brightening up the red color um, just to make it a little bit more uh, visually appealing. Like when you say there's tomato in it, but it doesn't look like tomato, that disconnect between what their brain was told and their eye see kind of jukes their expectations. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There is a lot of, there is tomato in it with, with the Visor mix, lots of tomato, lots of other spices, all this sort of stuff. And yeah, so, but no, to your point of it's, uh, I mean, there's people, I mean, a lot of people hate clam juice just in general, Clamato, you know, there's jokes on the Simpsons about it and all this sort of stuff. Um, so you have to like Clamato, you have to like beer and clam and this and that. So, uh, again, it's been, a. We, we, we feel bad when folks uh, purchase our products not expecting one thing and getting another. Um, I do get some kind of maybe mild enjoyment of when supposed beer nerds and beer experts buy a michelada and then they're mad saying, I didn't know it was going to be like this. And it's like, well, that's what – like you can literally Google michelada and that's what it that's, – that's the beer style. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, but we've had some folks that felt that it was almost false advertising, but me personally growing up, my mom, she was a beer and clam person and I never got it. I didn't understand rimming the glass with the spices. It was never a flavor that I enjoyed, but I knew this was going to be successful when I took some down to Dandy's and Daniela, who's from South America, who grew up and knows this stuff, like micheladas is part of her heritage and her family's culture they shared those and they drank it and she's like this was excellent she's like i haven't had a michelada that tastes this good since i left home and you know she's a person that cares about flavor and quality and thinks about that stuff so what i knew this was going to be great for the people who it is designed to appeal to Exactly. Because we had her kind of like signature, 
her sign off. Yeah, it means a lot, like you just said, from Daniela. She's so committed to quality, to using real ingredients. And again, culturally, that's her background is that she knows this. She knows these products. So uh, for her to, to vouch for it, that means a lot to me. And uh, actually, I'm heading over there right after this to go and have some ice cream with my wife. So um, yeah, that's the place to go. Can I tell you another unrelated beer story about Daniela? Sure. I, I walked into Caliber Coffee a few days ago, and I was picking up a part for my French press. They were really kind. They just said, hey, come on in. We've got the part. And I'm picking up a bunch of coffee, and I was telling the girl that worked there, have you been to Dandy's and tried your coffee the way they prepare it? It's fantastic. And she's she's like, hands down, they're one of the best. And she said, we knew they were special because they didn't just take the coffee we recommended. They tried everything we offered and they asked intelligent questions and they cared about the flavor profile and what was happening with maybe not just the coffee, but temperatures and all those other pieces that can influence the quality. She's like, they care more than anyone else. And I was just like, yes, I can't wait because we're doing a collaboration with them for a beer and ice cream that's coming out soon. I won't yep. give away any secrets, but it was just another affirmation. I'm like, these guys know what they're doing and I'm so glad that we get to work with them. Yeah, again, I think for most folks, they maybe don't understand all that goes into making true quality uh, uh, food and beverage um, from from real ingredients. There's a lot of a lot of passion, a lot of research, and a lot of work. And so, yeah, when you kind of find those kindred spirits, it's pretty awesome. Again, we've got a long relationship back with Caliber, and it was the same sort of thing when we just for the coffee that our staff drinks and that we do serve in our tap room. And so, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I would agree. You know that an ice cream shop and a brewery serve some of the best coffee in the city it's probably the best the, the best kept secret around um and i remember when i first started when i first started working with caliber to bring in the coffee and we've worked on other things with them but i said you know i've tasted your coffee around town and like it kind of sucks and uh they said well you know and they said well we sell it to, to folks and they don't necessarily make it the way we want them to make it um so yeah they 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 love that we were so engaged i'm like i want to make it the way you want us to make it so that was pretty rad and I would throw in one more segue with Caliber is that um, they've started. So they uh, they originally were carrying Tea Life brand tea, and we used a lot of their tea again in the brewery and in the in the, serving in the tap room and in the beers. Um, tea Life, she is uh, she's uh, shut down her business, and uh, Caliber started carrying Pluck, which I'm also a big fan of. And um, we just bought what did we buy? Thirty five kilograms of jasmine tea from Pluck. That's going to go into a new beer this summer. So pretty stoked about this jasmine beer. Is that the cucumber? Cucumber jasmine, yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, so cucumber jasmine, I'm really stoked about this. Um, last uh, In Denver last year, we went to the Craft Brewers Conference. Uh, about half of our management team was able to go, and we tasted several different cucumber beers at a few different breweries, some sours or... Uh, just some, and they're just so light and refreshing and bright and just so done so, so well. And, uh, we all came back and we're like, we have to make a cucumber beer. And so, you know, Vanessa's like our mad scientist with all the wacky ingredients. And she did make some cucumber beers on us on our small batch system last year. And they were fantastic. They sold out fast. Exactly. And we were just trying to wrap our heads around how in the world do you make cucumber beer on a large scale? 
well, you do a little bit of research. Well, you can buy frozen cucumber puree. So we've got, we bought a pallet of frozen cucumber puree and we're going to make, and the 35 kilograms of jet, which is, that's a lot of tea. Think of how light tea is. 35 kilograms is a ton. So we're going to make this awesome cucumber jasmine beer and it should be out in cans. I don't know, maybe another month or so from now. Nice. (laughs) What about the, the watermelon beer, which anytime I mention watermelon beer, people immediately they their eyes light up they're just like what i can't wait exactly exactly so watermelon beer that's one i i I will say that watermelon beer for me uh no doubt came out of the whole thing around uh people's love for the rough riders and the whole watermelon nonsense um so yeah that was definitely gimmicky marketing but again it's like we're gonna make a real one i hate those fake phony ones that have the artificial watermelon flavoring uh, they're just, they're disgusting. Um, real watermelon is fantastic, but again, it's, it's a bit of a challenge to work with because it's watery. Imagine that. And working with really watery products is tough because it dilutes the beer itself. And so, yeah, it takes a little bit of time to wrap your head around how to make those properly. So we've got a, a watermelon Goza coming out again. We sourced a bunch of frozen watermelon puree Goza is a sour beer with a little bit of salt and coriander added. And so the watermelon is a little bit watery, but that salt just kind of gives it that little punch and that little bit of bite back that it's needed. And then coriander just adds a little bit. It's uh, traditionally used in Goza anyways, and just adds a little bit more additional complexity to the beer. I know some fruit, depending on what it is, the, the heat from the brew process or something during fermentation destroys that fruit character. And it's hard to retain or extract kind of the flavor you had in your imagination was that something we had to contend with when it comes to watermelon? Yeah, it's a huge challenge when you're using uh, any any fruit. Um, again, when you're uh, a raw, fresh fruit that you're biting into and just eating and enjoying has a, is a very different character than something that ends up in a beer, whether it's been in heated or it's been fermented the sugar out of it or just how it uh, combines with the, the, the beer itself. There's a lot to think about. And again, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll just throw out, throw it out there that a lot of brewers can't wrap their heads around that. So they cheat and use artificial extracts and flavorings. Um, some of them will, will combine that with the real fruit. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a crutch. I'll say that it's a crutch. Um, you can make some okay beers with it. Sure. Um, but that's, you know, that when the, that, that's when the purest thing does come out in me and I'm like, no, figure out how to do it. It's not, well, it is hard. I shouldn't say it's not that hard. It's actually really, really hard. Uh, but that shows whether you're a good brewer or not. So figure it out. Is it a question of chemistry knowledge? Yeah, again, that's where you have to really understand the different uh, dynamics of the fruit and what's going on. And um, when I think about like the like the best chefs in the world, they don't think about following a recipe like on the back of a cake box where you're just following steps. They're thinking about flavors and how they combine and how they work together. And um, so that's how I always think about with, with any of the beers we make uh, a really good example we did a beer we did a blueberry uh, triple long long time ago so blueberries are delicious everything's about eating fresh blueberries in the summer they taste great but in a beer they're very watery very bland they're not a they're, they're not very acidic so they taste kind of lame I would say they taste flabby if that's the that's probably the best description I can come up with they taste flabby but everyone's like make a blueberry beer make a blueberry beer so we've never actually officially publicly told anyone, but our blueberry triple also had a few hundred pounds of rhubarb added in as well. Rhubarb, again, sounds delicious, tastes great in pies, 
because you're adding a whole bunch of sugar in. Again, if you just go and just chew on some rhubarb. It's offensive. It's offensive. It's very, very acidic, very, very bitter. But again, in my head, I was like, okay, how do I, how do I make this flabby blueberry pop? How do I give it some sparkle? And so I said, well, we'll add in some rhubarb and that'll give it some jam and some jazz. And it did. And everyone's like, wow, it's the best blueberry flavor ever. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's delicious. I know. Hey, <laughs> again, in the back of my mind, they, they only knew what the rhubarb that we added. So, <laughs> but again, again, you know, we could have cheated and just added a bunch of blueberry extract, like a lot of blue, like a lot of brewers do. But it's like, no, I can, I can figure out a natural way of accomplishing the same thing. When we looked to the pumpkin spice beer, people were like, oh my God, that, that pumpkin character. And we're like, no, it's, it's, there's no pumpkin. It's just spices. Yeah, it's a spice. Pumpkin tastes like nothing. It's starch. <laughs> it's starch. But then you pull it out, and you—if you didn't know any better—it does taste like a slice of pumpkin pie. Exactly, because that's what's giving it the flavor, right? And it's the—it's some of that like brown sugar and the baking spices and the and the pastry. That's the flavor of pumpkin pie. So let's circle back to rhubarb. We have a rhubarb beer coming. How oh yeah, much, we do. Yeah. How much rhubarb is going into that thing? I don't know the exact numbers. Zal has uh, been the guy sourcing all of that, and then he just kind of gives me the prices, and I do the quick math in my head. And I'm like, okay, can we afford this, and can we charge a decent enough fair price for it? But again, it's another pallet of frozen rhubarb, uh, and yeah, so we're gonna make a rhubarb crisp again. Vanessa has made some uh, smaller test batches of that in the past, and yeah, so. Um, I, I'm not I'm not anti pumpkin beers, but I think they're a little overdone and a little tiresome. And um, but if I do, I never drink another pumpkin beer in my life. It'll be too soon. Yeah, like I just they're fine. They're fine for what they are. I don't go crazy. I love pumpkin pie. I will da- absolutely eat good pumpkin pie. I don't need a pumpkin pie beer. That's just it's it is what it is. I don't. It's not this whole like thing where you have to hate you know all the basic women that order their pumpkin pie lattes. Like, come on, give me a break. It's just it's just a flavor profile, but. Fine. Anyways, we're always just looking for a, a different angle to put on it. And, you know, so, yeah, we're doing rhubarb crisp. Um, should start rolling out hopefully by August and uh, into September. And, again, it's just a little bit more interesting as opposed to just here's a really sweet beer with some spices. It's, uh, you know, it's got a bit of that tartness from the rhubarb and just, just a unique twist on it. Is it a dessert beer? Yeah, we're going to kind of try and pitch it as that, right, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean... You can enjoy the beer anytime, but um, yeah, it's definitely, I think some of the more heavily uh, interesting flavored beers, yeah, they're not necessarily, you know, when we talk about lawnmower beers or patio beers, that doesn't really fit that. Yeah, it's more of a specialty, unique thing, and yeah, it should be great with dessert. Yeah. One of the beers that I'm really excited about this year that we've been talking about and expecting for a long, long time is Beach Life. Yeah. How did that beer come to be? So Beach Life, uh, to go way, way back, probably six or more years ago, that was supposed to be our flagship beer. And uh, I actually got a Kolsch recipe from a guy named Mark Whitehead out of uh, Lethbridge, Alberta. I tasted one of I tasted one of his Kolsch beers. Beach Life is a Kolsch style beer, by the way. I tasted one of his Kolsch style beers when I was judging beer at a competition in Calgary in about 2010. And I thought it was the best Kolsch I'd ever tasted. And I said, hey, can you, sh- you share the recipe with me? Of course he did. We're friends. He what a nice it. guy. Yeah. 
and so I, st- I still have that recipe on hand. Um, Beach Life has, you know, been tweaked and adapted over that, but still kind of in the ballpark. And so, yeah, so when we were planning to open Rebellion Brewing, you know, you're thinking, okay, you got to have something, you know, it, you, you do need some, that light, approachable beer, but we wanted it to be a really fantastic, light, approachable beer. And I wanted it to be a Kolsch. I wanted to use a Kolsch yeast, on and on and on. The test batches, we did test batches of it. It was amazing. It was amazing. The problem with Kolsch yeast in a craft brewery is that Kolsch yeast takes a long, long time to settle out naturally on its own. Uh, you typically, it needs to condition for at least three to four weeks, if not longer. And time is money in a brewery. We don't have time for that. And I only wanted to use one yeast strain when we started in the brewery. Again, trying to just reduce the variables. Simple is always better. And Kolsch yeast does not taste good in dark beers because it's it's got just a hint of a tartness, a tart fruity character. And it really uh, clashes in like a stout or It would amber. screw up the coffee and the chocolate. So as, as stoked as I, re- I really, really wanted to launch with a Kolsch as our flagship beer. Um, but we just had to say, no, we can't do it. Uh, of course, we're now into our sixth year. We own a centrifuge, which is a fantastic way of clarifying beer uh, you know, without stripping out any flavor, and it does it very quickly. And, um, you know, we've kind of grown uh, grown up as a brewery. We have a few other uh, yeast strains that we work with in-house. And uh, so, yeah, so a lot of it was I just – it was just my own personal desire. of I want to put a Kolsch out. I've always loved Kolsch, and Kolsch is uh, – starting to see a resurgence in craft beer in general. So craft beer in general, you know, it's always about bigger, bolder batter, which is still very, very popular. We're not, no one's uh, stopping to drink those, but people are also realizing that sometimes you just want a regular beer, but a really, really well-made, high-quality regular beer. When you told me we were going to launch a Kolsch, I was personally really skeptical because I kind of viewed it as like a, a farty old guy beer. That was for people who basically didn't care what they were drinking and had never changed in their whole life. Every reference that I had to compare to from other colches was tired, stale colches that had been in sitting in bottles at room temperature for at least a year. And Beach Life completely opened my eyes. And I've said to myself, and I've said it to multiple other people, Forever in a day, my favorite Rebellion beer has always been the Stout, and I'm going to say Beach Life has, has taken over. Like It is what I think is our most perfect beer. It will be, it's not as flashy as a Sour or an IPA. It's, it's not as hard charging, but I just think it's just perfect the way it is. Absolutely. Which Absol- is hard to say. Like, no, it's for sure. You're, you're absolutely 100% right. And um, yeah, again, when... When I knew, when we were gonna make a Kolsch again, I've tasted some really great Kolsches in my life, and I just I, I'm really good at memorizing flavors and aromas, and I knew what I wanted it to be like, and we we've nailed it. And when people taste a great Kolsch, you're just people are just like, wow, okay, now I get it. Um, again, not to just keep going to the negative, but you know, a lot of craft breweries in the past, whether they have a Kolsch or a Pilsner or a Blonde, it's almost they put it out as almost like an insult to the, uh, say, a new beer drinker or someone who just isn't good enough or too wimpy. And it's like, okay, well, you can't handle our double IPA, so we're just going to give you some lame-ass yellow beer and just, you know, leave us alone, go hide in a corner. Like, we don't really want – you're not cool enough to hang with us. And I just found that so insulting and just gross. It's like at least, you know, have uh, have some pride and make a good golden, easy, crisp beer, you know? 
just do it, figure it out, man. And, uh, so anyways, we took, we took that on. And again, uh, I can't take the credit for it. The brewers did brewers made outstanding, outstanding Kolsch. And, um, that beer too also really kicked off a lot of the, the can artwork on all the new cans this year, as you were mentioning, kind of that cool seventies retro vibe. I've always been a huge fan of that. Um, I, I grew up kind of in that kind of period and that kind of motif, you know, a lot of people had the wallpaper on the walls, all the crazy designs and, it's cool to kind of see a lot of that stuff kind of coming back. It, it, it means a lot to me and uh, young people think it's cool. A lot of young people don't think old stuff is cool, but they think some of the 70s stuff is neat right now. And um, so, yeah, so we just kind of went with it. Our graphic designer, Brianna Coffin, um, has just like just like taken off with it, like just ran with it. It's just been unreal. Uh, again, she, she it really resonated with her too. And um, she's just cranked out these fantastic cans for us and people are just loving them. We have that design from like your grandma's classic Corel plates on the on the rhubarb crisp. Yeah, people might recognize that one when that that one comes out. Yeah, so uh, you know, again, it just I was just sitting around one day and I, I was just thinking about those plate these certain Corel plates and I was just thinking how cool those were and I'm like, how could you put that on a beer can? And I couldn't visualize how exactly to put that on a beer can, and so I just sent Brianna a picture of a plate and I'm like, can you make this into a beer can? And she sent me, you know, a day or two later, I get this design, uh, you know, I get this email and there's always just like that, like a couple seconds while you're waiting for it to open. You're like, I hope it's cool. I hope it's cool. I hope it's cool. And then you open it up and you're like, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> when we talk about artwork, our, our cans did evolve from that first generation. We kind of, we put it on the shelf and we realized how the lip of the shelf may raise up and hide some of the text. And we know that when we're competing on a big beer wall, we want you to see our cans, know immediately what it is you're grabbing. And from like 12 feet away, say, that's a rebellion. That's my beer. So when we diverge from that single strong, like image in the middle of the can, and we kind of said, let's experiment with the seventies. What was in the back of your mind when we kind of adopted that? Cause it is a risk. I was just going to say, it's definitely a risk. Um, we could talk forever about some of these things, but, um, yeah, it's a challenge. We, we, I am, I, I think I'm a tweaker by nature. I'm always looking to perfect things, but also try different things. Um, uh, but you also have to be careful to not do too much tweaking and too much changing because people can't keep up with the pace of it as well. And, um, so yeah, so we started out with some really cool, bold stuff. But uh, again, I'm not saying all of our cans are perfect by any means, but I, I definitely have been a beer snob and a brewing snob where it's like, I know what I want it to be. I know what it should taste like. And if it doesn't, we have to figure we'll figure out how to make it taste how I want it to taste. And it's kind of been the same thing with the cans where um, I can look at other breweries cans or go into a, a beer store and right away and be like, this sucks, this sucks, this is great, this is great. And, and if I see that something's great, I want to know what part of that I can steal and put into my, into our designs, um, to maybe make ours even better. And, um, so yeah, no, the, uh, I mean, our initial can, the can artwork that we started out with is fantastic. It is not lame or boring. People are still loving it. We're putting it on shirts and hats and it's super rad. Um, but yeah, I just, I just wanted to have fun with the seventies thing. I just thought there was some really cool, um, I, I kind of, I always just keep thinking back to wallpaper. I think of them as more of a wallpaper and I think wallpaper 
The right type of wallpaper can look really good on a can as well. Again, it can't be too busy. Uh, again, I think about I think about design the same way about beer. It's about how does it all fit together? Is it a total mess? How do the different colors work together? Is it clear what it is? Can you actually read the text on it, or is it just a mess? And um, there are some breweries that focus a lot on the can art, but you don't know who the hell brewed it or what style it is. I don't want to spend. 30 seconds rotating a can in my hand, hunting down who brewed this and what the hell. Exactly. If you can't figure it out right away, then it's, they've, they failed at that. Uh, another one I would give another brewery that I was really inspired by is Drecker and their cans. Uh, their brewery in, uh, I want to say Minnesota. I think it's Minnesota. <laughs> Somewhere in that area. And, uh, Drecker, their cans are amazing. They're amazing. But what's real? What what absolutely turns? And I'll just nit. I'm just nitpicking on Drecker. But um, they do so many different varieties. But when they're all on a shelf, it just it just literally looks like someone just vomited across the shelf. Individually, the cans are absolutely. There are it's beautiful, beautiful works of art. But on a shelf, it just looks like someone threw up across the shelf. And that's that's not that's that doesn't work. It just becomes noise, and you can't focus on any one can or determine what's what. So, yeah, there's a lot of variables that go into good can design. Are, are ours perfect? Mm, I, I, I don't think there's no such, any such thing as a perfect can, but we keep trying to have fun and keep trying to push different things. For me, for my brewery that I would recommend anyone check out for artwork is Carbon 4, and they're in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. When I went into the liquor store and... I shot a video and I basically just walked down the, the liquor store of their craft beer section for two minutes, just recording the entire lineup of shelves. So you got that sense of what works, what doesn't immediately their beer was like standout. The artwork was amazing. And then you, you taste it and it was fresh and hoppy and bold. And I, I, when I came back, I think I was showing you pictures and I was just like, we got to do something like this. We got to we got to do like these guys did because this is great. Absolutely, and again, it's not about just like copying someone. It's about understanding their intent and understanding what makes what what design details make it great, and how do you implement that into your own unique thing. Again, it uh, it's just a different way of it's a it's definitely a complex way of looking at it, but it, it makes sure that your stuff is still unique and original, and that has a lot more staying power. And yeah, so uh, yeah, we. We go to liquor stores and that's, that's the, we're there to buy beer, you know, don't get, yeah, we're there to buy beer, but like you, you take in all those things. And even when we design our tap, when we've designed our tap handles, I do the same thing. I go to bars and restaurants and like, I like sit at different spots in the bar or restaurant or walk around. And then I, and then I look over at the taps and I'm like, well, which one jumps out to me? What can I actually read? Can I tell what beer it is? Why can I tell? How come I, how, why is that? Okay. Well, how am I going to make my tap handle work like that for customers? So. It's obsessive, nerdy stuff. <laughs> All these little things just to say for the seven seconds that a person has to make a beer decision, I'll have a rebellion. Exactly. Yeah. It's where you're trying to do, you're just trying to reduce the confusion. You're just trying to create really quick clarity, right? Because people do make those decisions very, very quickly uh, when they make a purchase. And so you're just, you're trying to make it as easy as possible and as appealing and attractive as possible. In the very early days when we started, I would go out to restaurants and be like, what do you have that's local for craft? And they would start telling me 
all these random beers that weren't even brewed in Saskatchewan. I'm like, no, 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 local craft. And I'd list off a couple of breweries. Never say Rebellion. I wouldn't be that pushy. I wanted to just see what they would say. And then over time, I noticed about two years in, they would say, well, we've got Rebellion. And I'm like, oh, which one? You know, and then they, they were more excited and there was more hype and more vibe. And it's interesting. Now I go out to a restaurant and I'm like, they don't even push the other stuff. They're like, oh, we got some great local beers. You should check them out. Like the the attitude is totally shifted for restaurants. It's It's been really fun to watch that, you know, and like you say, we go around and we kind of like take in a lot of that data and it's been really fun to move along with that. And there's still so much more to go. You know, when I've been in like California or Texas or other parts and you go to a bar or restaurant and the server, the server might tell you the name of the farmer that they got the bison burgers from, you know, or, or the brewer that brewed the beer or, you know, what, wherever. Right. And like just the minutia and they're telling you this, like, it's like the most important, exciting thing you ever want to try. Well, of course you want to try it. If farmer Joe down the road is the guy that supplied this, like, and the server is that jacked up about it. It's an instant sell. It's not hard, but, um, yeah. So, so yeah, we've definitely, I, I wouldn't say we've moved the needle. I just think Saskatchewan has moved the needle on, uh, appreciation and understanding of food and drink and where food and drink comes from and, and telling the story. People love a good story. And, uh, so yeah, there's, there's just so much further to go. A lot of times people always tell us like, Oh, you guys have like accomplished everything or you guys are everywhere now. And, yeah. We don't uh, even feel like we're there yet. Yeah. It's, you know, we're, we're really proud of our success and our accomplishments, but, um, I see that there, there's just, there's so much more potential and growth and opportunity and, and not just for rebellion, but like I say, for, for, for everyone here in Saskatchewan and customers, customers have so much to look forward to. It's, it's really cool stuff. One of the things I'm really proud to always get to say is our farmers grow the kind of barley for malting that is the envy of the world and we get to use it and we get to show off. And then you see people go, Oh, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Our farmers do that. Of course. And our beer kicks ass and we should be proud of it. Exactly. And so, you know, we are trying to shape some of that where we start talking about, you know, makers malt up in Rostern or we talk about Justin at JGL shepherd hops and stuff like that, you know, which actually we were just talking with him last week to, to figure out our plans for uh, some wet hop beers uh, coming up again this year. Nice. Which, you know, we did that last year and it, it, it was great. You know, it was fantastic. But again, you could tell, you know, we're, we're still, we're always kind of pushing the envelope and be like, what the heck is this? And who you're getting hops from, you know, Eastern Saskatchewan. Like what the heck is that? Um, and so I'm really excited to see what the narrative is going to be this year. I think there's just going to be that much more excitement and appetite. So like, oh, now we know what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. I do want that. I remember you taking those fresh sticky hops and kind of rolling them in your hands and your hands turned yellow and green. And you're like, that's what makes a beer taste great. Exactly. It's like, yeah, like it's just, it's so you can't get more literal than that. You just get to see it firsthand. And so, yeah, it's like Matt and I went out and uh, helped pick the hops that went in that beer. And so when we were chatting last week at the brewery, about our plans for this year, you know, everyone is like, can I come? Can I come this year? Like, I want to go and see the hops. I want to go up to the field. Um, yeah, that's a cool thing. That's a really, really fun thing. And it's all right here in Saskatchewan. <laughs> We're running out of time. So 
all I got left to say is thanks for your time today. Yeah, I hope you will enjoy it. It wasn't just meant to be, you know, uh, just a cheesy sales uh, pitch. Um, but yeah, I think I, I love geeking out, talking about beer. It's, uh, it's tough to find the time and to reach people directly sometimes. So hopefully, uh, people got, uh, got something out of this podcast. Stupid COVID. Yep. (laughs) Rebels. Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, Be sure to join us on our brand new Facebook group page, The Rebellion Brewing Podcast. The Sasscraft beer scene is always changing, and I'm going to do my best to keep featuring all the fresh new local beers coming out. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Untapped so you don't miss out on a single thing. Thank you for joining The Rebellion.